This is Radiate, the podcast that celebrates life and shines a light on life-restoring stories of organ, tissue and eye donors, recipients, and information you need to know about donation. Welcome back to Radiate. This is episode 22. I'm Audrey Coleman, your host. Thank you for joining us today. The National Kidney Foundation estimates that more than 615,000 people in the United States have been diagnosed with end-stage renal disease. Of that number, about 430,000 patients are receiving dialysis. Today's guest is Jawan Chantel Williams. And for the past several years, Jawan has been a dialysis patient. She is also on the transplant waiting list and hopes to receive a donor kidney. But there was a time when Juwan had been told that she might also need a heart as well as a kidney transplant, but after further medical tests, it was determined that she would not need a heart transplant. Today, there are more than 116,000 patients on the transplant waiting list with more than 97,000 of them waiting for a kidney. Today, Juwan will share with us her own story of life on dialysis and the national organ waiting list. Welcome, Juwan. Thank you for joining us today. Audrey, thank you so much for having me. Um, Aurora is huge in my eyes because of the hope you all give um, to people. So I'm just grateful to be connected with such a beautiful organization, very important organization. So I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. But your story is really what we want to focus on today. And we know that is it's really going to be a compelling listen for for our audience. So let's let's just start from the beginning. Um, How did you learn that your kidneys were failing? Well, um, off and on uh, for many, many years, um, I would teeter on the edge of needing to go on dialysis because I have an underlying issue of lupus. So if you know anything about lupus, it, it, you know, it can settle in any major organ, but um, something would change. And then I would go off the radar. And so my doctor said, okay, don't worry about it. I mean, I even went to dialysis education a couple of times Mm -hmm. and they said, Oh, just throw that away. You don't need it right now. Your kidneys are functioning normally again. So don't worry about it. Um, so, you know, things would be favorable and I would go a couple of years and everything was okay. But, um, this particular year, um, I had to go either every week or every two weeks to get appropriate injection or epigen, uh, EPO injection. If you know what that is, that's a, a, an injection that would, that, uh, get your blood cells, uh, multiplied. So okay. that you have energy and uh-huh. so all of this stuff and it makes you feel really bad when your hemoglobin is low. So this injection helps build up those red blood cells. Well, this particular time I was going to get my injection and my doctor came out, which he never did because I would just usually just see the nurse. Right. And he said, did they tell you about your blood work? And I said, no. He said, well, after you get your uh, shot, I need you to come see me. Oh, gosh. No one wants to hear that. Oh, the whole time I'm nervous in the waiting room. I mean, legs is going and everything. Right. So I went back there and he said, it's time. And I knew what he meant when he said mm-hmm. that. So here comes the waterfall. And he said, we're going to get it taken care of. And so literally within about a week or two, I was in surgery to put a port in my belly yes. mm-hmm. to get that healed so I could start dialysis as soon as possible. 
So it just kind of came out of nowhere. I say that, you know, back and forth through the years, but I was not prepared. I knew I wasn't feeling well that day, um, but I never thought when I went in, I would hear that. Oh, of course not. So, okay. So I think I heard you say, well, let, let me say a couple of different things. Let me, let me go back to you. So one, you said that you, you are being treated for lupus. So yeah. how, when were you diagnosed with lupus? How long ago was that? Oh my gosh. Let's see. So I'm 49. I'm not ashamed to say, <laughs> I believe it was, I was 18 years old when I was diagnosed with lupus. Okay. So you've had uh-huh. lupus for several years. And yeah, so through I, college. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So Dewan, I, I want to go back to something that you just said. Um, I know that um, there may be audience members who are not all that familiar with lupus, but as I understand lupus, it is an autoimmune disease, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And that it mm-hmm. can sometimes attack your own tissues, which includes your organs, obviously. So I'm guessing that that's what happened in your case. Yeah, I mean, it, lupus is an internal enemy. Uh, it turn, Your body turns against itself and that's exactly what happened to me, you know, coupled with several other symptoms. Because when you have lupus, there's this big old long list. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, back then, and if you had a percentage of these symptoms, that's how they would diagnose you okay. as having it. Maybe different now. But my lupus is what I call it. It just happened to love and set up shop in my kids. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That, yes. that was that was a place. Mm-hmm. So you were diagnosed with it. And then eventually. So this was like how many years later between diagnosis and the time that the doctor said it's time about how many how long was that? Okay, that was probably about, let's see, so it was time, I was maybe 17 years old, so I've been on dialysis now uh, eight years, so that's, you can say 41 years minus 17, I mean, so this is a long time I've been battling with this, you know, with with all of this stuff, and it's like dialysis was just a you know, straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, I mean, did you, you know, just in your daily, um, you know, living with lupus, did you have any idea that this was something that could potentially happen? Well, I mean, initially, I didn't even, hadn't even heard of lupus, didn't even mm-hmm. know what it was. And I most certainly didn't know how much of a vicious monster it could be. I mean, it can attack, it can attack anything, you know, any, any part of your body is fair game. And it, it has touched my skin, my hair, my joints, my nerves. Uh, I mean, lupus is definitely no respecter of person. So, no, I, I had no idea, you know, the havoc that it could wreak on right. my body. Yeah. Right. So you I think you had also mentioned in another conversation that we had that you thought that you'd been told that you might need a heart transplant. So tell me about that. I remember saying, you know, my heart is feeling funny. I'm not feeling good. My chest, you know, it's beating funny. And uh, my my son said, I called him and said, I want you to take me to the emergency room because something's going on. And they said I had called my doctor, said the same thing. So fast forward, my daughter was calling my cell phone. Uh, I wasn't answering. And people around would say, that's really strange. They call me Chantel in my middle name. So Chantel's not answering her phone. She never goes anywhere without her phone. And so then my daughter called my desk phone and the uh, administrative uh, assistant down the hall, she picked up and she says, hello. And she, Tegan says, mom, mom's not answering her phone. She said, yeah, we can't find it. And the lady that I was training, she said something just told her. As a matter of fact, she said the Holy Spirit told her to go in my room, my office, because they had been walking by. 
and they didn't see me. I was up under my desk. Oh my god! Gone. I had coded. I had coded. Oh my god! So they had to use the AED. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'm saying that right. Yeah, mm-hmm. to get me back. So they got me back, and they took me to UAMS Hospital here locally, and I did it again, coded again. Wow. And so it was at that time uh, I was told I was placed in a medically induced coma. I don't remember mm-hmm. anything um, that, um, you know, they kind of called my family and said it didn't look good. But as, as, as God would have it, it wasn't time yet. And so once I had come through all that and started making a little bit of a recovery, they said, you know, we're wondering if there's not an issue with your heart as well. So I was actually mid-flighted, my son and I, to Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville for mm-hmm. them to go through all of these extensive tests to see if, in fact, I, I didn't need both, because that would be a good place for me to be able to get both organs. Right. Thankfully, what they found was that the cardiac episodes are more than, were more than likely um, caused by two medicines that I was on at the time uh, that I had been taken down through the years, mm-hmm. and um, that my heart was really okay. Uh, they have there's something called an ejection fraction in your yes. heart, and mm-hmm. mine was mine was actually okay. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Say okay, we're clear with the with the heart. We're just gonna give you a defibrillator because this happened, and we don't really know why. And that means it could happen again. Ah, so this okay. is how we remedy that is by implanting a defibrillator. So I have one underneath okay. my, my left arm over here. But that that's how that happened. How the heart uh, issue kind of came into play. Do you, has it ever been activated? It has not. And let me tell you, I'm so scared that it's going to be, you know, because the recovery from those pants, from mm-hmm. them shocking me to get me back, mm-hmm. that hurt so bad. I mean, I hurt for months. Wow. Before before I could, you know, I so I just have this feeling that if it did activate, it would be similar. I was told it's just like being kicked in the chest by a horse. I hadn't been kicked, but just the thought of that, well, that ain't nothing <laughs> pleasurable. <laughs> I'll say all right. Well, um, let, let, let's hope that you don't have to have that experience. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad that things have gone well for you mm-hmm. so far. So yes, let's just hope. Yeah, let's hope it just continues down that path. Yeah. But um, so, well, let's 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 then talk a little bit about. Well, more than a little. Let's talk about dialysis. You know, we hear you see lots of dialysis centers around the city. Um, and of course, hospitals have them as well. And I think that most of us probably know someone who has either um, is either dialyzing, has done it in the past, or has someone in their family who has because, uh, you know, because kidney disease is, is very prevalent mm-hmm. in our society. Um, and, and of course, for, for those who, who might not be aware of, about what dialysis is, I'm going to try to explain it in my way and then we'll yeah. let you talk about it too. But, you know, as dialysis is, is simply put, it's a process that um, uses a machine to purify the blood when the kidneys are unable to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I heard you say earlier that your port is in your stomach. Mm-hmm. Now, is that normal? Well, the type of dialysis that I chose is called peritoneal dialysis. Mm-hmm. And so this tube goes into my peritoneal. I uh, see. Because, okay. And basically, I did not, when, when I was at dialysis education, when you're, when you're learning about all the kinds that you can do and choose, mm-hmm. 
I steered away from the hemodialysis because you can see the blood rolling around in that little yes. Oh, you <laughs> cannot see that with peritoneum. So the kind I do, I use bags, you know, 5,000 milliliter bags. Okay. Three of them. It's this clear solution. Basically, uh-huh. it's sugar, sugar water, basically. Okay. Uh, and as I sleep at night, I have a machine who I affectionately call Chester. That's my <laughs> machine's name. So I put my bags on Chester. And uh, all night while I sleep, these bags go in and fill my, my belly up and it dwells for about an hour, 15 mm-hmm. minutes, and then that will drain off. And then I'll fill up some more. And it does that through seven cycles through the night while I sleep. Okay. Wow. So, so yeah. all right, let me just interrupt you for a second here, yes. because I, um, I, I think that many of us are familiar with Dialysis. Exactly. Hemodialysis, uh-huh. where you go into a facility mm-hmm. several times a week mm-hmm. um, and for all day, like eight hours or so, I believe. Yeah. But what you're saying is you do yours at home. Mm-hmm. It sounds essentially what I'm going to call a, a, a portable. It's like a yeah. portable dialysis machine. It is. And it allows you to do this. So are you doing this when you get home from work or you get it? I mean, how, you said, how long does it take again? Okay. It takes several so, and hours. I have had hemodialysis before when I had some issues. Okay. So, and I had a temporary chink off catheter in my neck. I actually mm-hmm. did go in center, okay. but that didn't last very long, just some months until I was able to heal. And then I had to get another tube uh, on the other side uh, of okay. my belly. But uh, with this dialysis, um, I hook up. Or I connect to my cycler, um, usually Sunday night through Thursday night by 8 p.m. Okay. Because I need to be on time for work the next morning. So I have to have enough time to be able to unhook, throw that stuff in the trash, get my daughter to school and get to work on time. So I have anywhere between nine and a half hours to 10 hours, 15 minutes. It really just depends on the solutions that I choose. So there's three strengths of solutions that you can choose. Mm-hmm. One of the solutions just cleans your body, doesn't pull anything off, uh, any overage, what we call ultra filtration. And so that, that's really good if you're having like low blood pressure issues, because right. sometimes if you pull too much fluid, you can, your blood pressure can drop and that can cause other issues. And then there's kind of a mid-level solution, which does a little, little cleaning, a little, little cooling. So if there was an instance where I was consuming too much fluid or I had too much to drink or, you know, or something like that, mm-hmm. I would have a lot of fluid, you know, throughout my body that my body cannot get rid of on its own. Then I would use that higher level solution and that pulls a lot more off. And typically with that one, it's a 4.25 is the strength. Um, that one is going to run me a little longer through the night. So I have to adjust my time. So if I have an early morning meeting, I may have to, instead of jumping on at eight, I might have to jump on at seven right. because I need to make sure I have a time for all the, these solutions and cycles to run their course so that I can be completely finished by time to um, wake up and, and get to work. Well, your, your, you know, your body of knowledge is really impressive about this. Oh, and I mean, and of course, you know, you've been living with this for several years, but you seem to be very, very knowledgeable about your condition, about your treatment, about expectations. So you, you said that you have a choice, so to speak, of these. So do you make that decision or does your physician make the decision about which solution to use? Well, through training. So when you're doing peritoneal, especially, I imagine hemo too, uh, through training, uh, extensive training, they show us how to you take our vital signs to see 
what we might be exhibiting as far as which yeah. solutions we maybe maybe you so you need your blood take your blood pressure mm-hmm. you need to look at your ankles look at the, is there any swelling how are you feeling how's your breathing how, so there are some physical things we're able to look at to discern which type of fluid we need to use with me i'm pretty i'm pretty regimented i can i can mix it up use a mid-level solution and then a lower one but usually toward the weekend I've accumulated a little more fluid. I can tell my my shoes are a little tighter. Mm-hmm. They're harder, you know. So I have to use that 4.25, use it on a Friday or Saturday. Why? Because I don't have to get up and go to work so I can I can have that extra time. You see, so I kind of plan mine like that. But there has been occasions, or there have, have been occasions where my blood pressure has just been too low to use it, you know, a 4.25. So you just have to use the, the lower strength to just clean. Because that's the goal. You want to stay clean because when those toxins begin to build up in your body again, then you can be really, really sick. It can cause peritonitis uh, in that peritoneum. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other issue. I mean, that's a, almost a hospital issue. You know, if it gets too bad, fever, swelling, redness around the, the uh, site and all that. Right. So it's just a lot of things. They really kind of take, teach us to be little um medical people <laughs> we've been learning you know because we're I'm working alongside my my nurses and they're showing me what I need to look for and telling me um they're very um they explain a lot of the uh, um the verbiage as far as the tests that need to be done and things to watch for and look for so I'm a strong advocate for being an advocate for your your health that's that's a lot of how you're able to say a little healthier mm-hmm. when you're more knowledgeable about what's going on with your body how has being on dialysis affected your life and you you said you've got kids as well how has that affected your life your kids your your work style your just everything how how has that affected it well to be quite honest um i would i would go so far as to say dialysis has actually been a, a great teacher hmm. in that it has taught me how to prioritize, mm-hmm. how to plan, how to be patient. Um, and I say that because when you only have this much time in a day, okay, I'm a single mom. Mm-hmm. I, I work eight hours. So subtract that from a 12-hour a day, so to speak. So you got, what, four hours left? What are you going to do with that? Well, my kiddos got to eat. Somebody might have to get carted off to a basketball game. Somebody might have, you know what I'm saying? Right. So through that, I know how to, um, if I have to set up my bags on the machine and then run over here and then put something in the crock pot before I leave for work, you know, so because like I said, Thursday through Sunday, I have to be on that machine at eight o'clock. And so everything that needed to have been done has to get done by then. It has to get done before then or it's not going to get done that day. Because when I'm connected to that machine, there's only so far. I have a line. It's called a drain line. Mm-hmm. There's only so far I can go in the house. So I can't go back to the kitchen. So I need to make sure I get my water, get my little peanut butter crackers. If I need a snack, I have to have all that. And now, mind you, my, my son is in, away in college, not, not too far, 30 minutes away, but my daughter. So if she's in her room asleep or in the front of the house and she can't bring me what I need, I have to have it all there. So that's what I say. It's taught me how to plan how to prioritize. I, I constantly live in a, in a state of like being on a schedule. Yes. And sometimes I don't always like it because I, I, I like extemporaneous things. Oh, of course. But I have to kind of be innovative with the being extemporaneous. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, if, if the kids, we want to try out a new restaurant. So what's the deal? I get off work at 430. I'm going to come scoop y'all up at five. We're going to eat before the crowd comes in back to shower to get connected. If it's Thursday through Sunday, Sunday right. through Thursday. So it's just that type of thing. And they have really gotten used to it. So like my daughter, she's a basketball manager at her school. And so she knows that they get out of practice uh, or from a game and it's after eight. She has to ask a friend for um, a ride home. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I have before had to call uh, a, a Uber, <laughs> you right. know, because I can't do anything. Of course. Else. So it's just it is a as a mindset because you are restricted, but it doesn't have to be a, um, something that just a barrier for you having a fruitful, productive life. You just have to be creative and always be thinking. It's just I'm, I'm just really fascinated by how you have taken what could be a really is a very difficult, yeah, it's no fun. challenging situation. <laughs> and you have learned to look at it from a philosophical perspective mm-hmm. of how it has improved you mm-hmm. as a person. That's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, did that take you some time to get to? Well, um, when you've been a person that has been as sick as I am, I have been, I mean, even to the point of death with a cardiac arrest, because, I mean, they frankly said you died twice. You really don't have another choice. Right. So what what do you have? You can either gloom and doom. And I can roll back and tell you that I'm a breast cancer survivor and I've gone through chemo and I used to drive myself to chemo and back. And they would just go, are you kidding me? My bald head and everything. Okay, so I can look at the, the glass being half full. Or I can look at it being half empty. And my perspective is half, that's a pretty good percentage. Absolutely. So I'm going to take that, that, that half that I do have. And we're going to make the best, you know, the lemons out of lemonade. We're going to make lemon meringue. We're going to make lemon candy. We're going to do everything we can out of what we have. Because this, like I've always said to my kids, this is the, the deck of cards I've been built. Right. I'm going to play it. I'm going to play them. And I'm going to ride this thing to the wheels fall off. Because at the end of the day, when I was, especially when I was going through chemo, there were people being carted in there in wheelchairs. There were people that had to have people on both sides of them holding them up just to get to the desk to check in. Right. That wasn't me. I was driving myself to and fro against the nurses better judge. <laughs> they said, we really wish you would get somebody to believe. Uh, but I didn't want to bother anybody. And I would, I would go to chemo on a Friday, throw up all weekend and go back to work on Monday because I didn't want to miss work. So it's, it, again, it's a mindset. There are people worse off than me and with this dialysis. My, my doctor said, you know, hemo is not ideal for you. He said, you are too busy. Mm-hmm. You are too active. He said, peritoneal is what you need to do. You're going to have to learn. And I, I was like, I can't learn it. It's too hard. So my dad was with me. He was my coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, he still is to this day. He gets my orders ready. He gets my bags. Unless my mom is, you know, not feeling well or he, the weather's bad. He comes over and keeps my inventory and have a beautiful support system. Um, so we just we just make the best out of it. We, we joke and laugh, you know, and uh, because it's, it's that or, or cry. That's, and I don't want to waste tears. Well, you know, that that is, I think, a textbook definition of resiliency. Oh, you oh my gosh. My necklace is resilient. <laughs> <laughs> You so, so I must be right then. <laughs> you are very right. Yeah. Um, so, Juwan, did you have you ever um, considered living donation? 
Actually, I have, but I'm torn. My baby brother, who was actually my baby before I had a baby, uh-huh. um, has offered. My son has offered. Mm. But my dilemma is when I when I think and contemplate them offering their kidneys, my brother has four children and a wife. He's young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My son is only 21. And I think he might have a wife and kids someday. What if they need a kidney? And then they've already given up one. And uh, so I, I just, I'm just, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait and, and I'm going to take my chances on trying to be healed on this side. Mm-hmm. It may never come, but um, I'm okay with it. And, but there's also a very good chance that it will. Yes, it, it is. Yes. And I, I keep that hope. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, aside from waiting for a donated kidney, what, What's your greatest concern? Is it about your health or is it about something else that um, your condition has caused or affected? What's what are your concerns? You know, I don't know that I have any real concerns um, because I was just telling my dad this uh, today. I think Uh, my nephrologist told me some years ago, he said, you know, Jawan, if you got a kidney, he said, about 95 to 98% of all of your other health problems would disappear. He said, because every other thing you experience for the most part is a byproduct mm-hmm. of kidney disease. Mm-hmm. So it is just this monster, you know, in my body that's ca- causing all these issues. But, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't think I have any other concerns other than trying to stay as healthy as I can. I love good food. I love, um, Fruits and veggies, those are like my total favorite ones. And I do like bad foods that are really good sometimes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but for the most part, I really, I literally crave just, I mean, I could just go through the garden and eat everything except mushrooms. I'm allergic to mushrooms. Mm. Other than that, I could just totally just eat the garden, you know? Um, so I try to do that. I don't, I don't engage in any um, crazy practices, life mm-hmm. practices, you know, recreational drugs or anything. I'm not wilding out, you know, just... Mm-hmm. Um, that type of thing. So I try to do those things that um, that will keep me as healthy as I can, you know, do for myself. So that's that's probably my only concern is trying to make sure that I continue to do those things, to do what I can, do my part, so that I won't add to the bookie. You know, that's all right. it is. Yeah, right. yeah. What is it that you would most want people to know about life on the donor waiting list? Well, you know what I think I would want them to know is that you have to just be patient. Um, just because they haven't called yet doesn't mean they won't call. As a matter of fact, I, I gave, I've actually been on two transplant waiting lists. I'm trying to get back on the one at the hospital here locally. It's just been hard because of the mm-hmm. cardiac episodes. Mm-hmm. But Vanderbilt, they have, they have, I'm on their list. So they've kept me on their list. And, you know, initially people even around here at my job would say, What's going on? Have you not heard anything? Why haven't they called? And 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 then I was saying, you know, maybe it's because of COVID. And I said, I don't want no COVID kidney. <laughs> they can keep that because I believe that'd be another set of issues. You know, that might turn into some long COVID kidney problems. But anyway, I don't want none of that. So I, but I say that jokingly. But I also always say after that is, we're on God's timing because I believe, and I've been called for a kidney before. But by the time, you know, everything came, it really really just wasn't acceptable. It didn't work out. So, yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I've had the high and I've had the low. 
So what I've what I've come to realize that helps me with being patient is on his timeline, because I believe when when that call comes, it'll be the right kidney. It'll be the perfect match. It'll be I can accept it. So everything is going to be working when they thump it, you know, all of that. So that that's the kidney I want. I just don't want just don't call me with no anything because I don't want. (laughs) But that's just how that, that helps me. Just stay grounded and just be patient and allow God's timing to, 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 you know, show itself. You know, Juwan, you have the most incredibly positive spirit. And I just, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your very personal, very important and just compelling story. But I happen to know that your talents extend to writing. Okay. And I would love it if you would, please, before we go, if you wouldn't mind sharing with our audience a poem that you've written. I know that I'd asked you earlier, um, you know, how life on, on dialysis and on the waiting list has affected you. And you've written a poem. And I, I think that this poem so beautifully expresses what you are experiencing on most days. So would you mind sharing that with the audience? Oh, I would love to. Thank oh, you great. so much. This is called The List, The Anticipation and Anxiety of Being on the Kidney Transplant List. I've been here a time or two, been so ecstatic, I hardly knew what to do. Beside myself with happiness and fear, wondering if the call would be far out or near. Calling, texting family and friends to get that prayer wheel turning again. Bags packed, ready to roll, prepared for weather, hot or cold. What will I do now? Just wait. I think I'm holding my breath. The phone rings. Uh, That ain't it. Just another family member asking if I've heard anything. This is definitely another lesson in patience. God has to think I haven't mastered. Me personally, I think I'm as patient as patient. Yet, but I'm teachable, I'm trainable. I'll just give it some time because God's timing is far better than mine. So, until my phone rings and I get that call, I'll just keep right on dialyzing for all seasons winter, spring, summer, and fall. So, that's just a little something. <laughs> Juwan Chantel Williams, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate you. Thank you. And best of luck to you on your journey. If you have any questions for us, please call 501-907-9150. And if you're ready to make a life-restoring decision and register to become an organ, tissue, and eye donor, go to donatelifearkansas.org. Radiate is a production of Aurora and is hosted by Audrey Coleman, Aurora's Director of Communications. 